at times is becoming farcical and you have to really feel for these players and management this isn't normal in any shape or form for your first chance to hear brian o'driscoll on otb download the otb sports app and turn on your notifications the news round on off the ball with gilles we don't just play the game we change it gilles made of what matters this is news talk Off the ball cracking show lined up this evening. We have two of the heavyweights of European football journalism to review the year that was between nine and ten. Graham Hunter and Philippe Claire together between nine and ten. They will get through it all: the good, the bad, and the ugly. So tune in for that. It will be uh, chat worth tuning in for. Mick Foley of the Sunday Times. I think we're all pretty down in the main on the football championship 2021. Was it that bad? The GAA men's football year that was being discussed with Mick Foley of the Sunday Times this hour. After 8 o'clock, Wednesday Night Rugby, Rory O'Connor of the Irish Independent and Chris Jones as well, the BBC's rugby correspondent. Frankly, it is starting to feel as if Irish rugby is just about the only country really interested in the Heineken Champions Cup. We will get Chris's UK perspective, see how they're feeling about things. And more besides, 53106 is the text number. We're at Off The Ball on Twitter. Richie McCormack, good evening to you. How are you, Joe? And Ronan Mullen, hello to you. Hi, Joe. So, that was a fairly negative way of selling the show, wasn't it? Graham Hunter, Philippe O'Clair. Okay, that's good. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Mick Foley, was the football championship as bad as we all feel? Wednesday Night Rugby, does nobody care about the Heineken Champions Cup? It does feel, Ronan, as if the world is fraying here slightly. Yeah, well, they said it couldn't be done, Joe, Graham Hunter and Philippe Beauclair at the same time on the same football show. It's one of the great collaborations of modern times, I'd say, up there with Kanye and Jay-Z when they went and tour together. But listen, the, the, the lucky viewers who were on YouTube earlier would have seen it, but the listeners will have it from nine o'clock. But yeah, it's kind of after the high points of maybe you look at the latter, po- latter point of the Euros and the early part of the Premier League season, for example, where full crowds and I think people were getting back to some semblance of normality and, and enjoying that and you know it was kind of true of all sports to a certain extent when you know when the vibes the old vibes of crowds and the product is living up to those that I think most were quite happy but as you said it's as we approach year's end there is a kind of stinging sense of a recurring nightmare about the whole thing that possibly we were in for a more doom and gloom on the other side of January. Mm. Yeah. Philippe and Graham is coming your way between 9 and 10. Full disclosure, we've recorded that chat already. The lads are brilliant on just so many things. And uh, a touch negative at times, but really compelling listening. So tune in for that. I will still be here to keep you updated on the Carabao Cup, which does include Liverpool-Leicester this evening and Spurs against West Ham, as well as Chelsea-Brentford. So that's on the way between 9 and 10. On the GA Championship, I suppose what's really fueling the sense of dismay is that there was a real glimpse into the possibilities of the future around Proposal B, and that's been squarely knocked back. And just reminding myself, Richie, of some of the early stages of the Football Championship in advance of talking to Mick. So, for instance, Mayo 520, Leitrim 11 points. That was a 24-point hammering. We had Mead 422, Longford 12 points, 22-point hammering. We had Limerick, 418, Waterford, 12 points and 18 points hammering. Kerry, well, they dished out a few beatings uh, to Clare. They beat Clare by 17 points, a good Clare side. And then most disappointingly of all, the Munster final after the Cork ambush the previous year. 
Kerry 4-22, Cork 1-9, a 22-point defeat. And even in Ulster, there were a few not-great games, Armagh, Antrim, Armagh winning by 13 points. But in the main, Ulster was the uh, saving grace, I think, for the vast majority of the championship. Obviously, the semi-finals were amazing. Final, a little less so. But for the vast majority of the football championship, I remember a lot of Mondays. Distinctly remember Paddy Andrews one Monday, and we were just saying, there's nothing to talk about this weekend. We've had three or four games. There's nothing in them. The amount of times you mentioned as well, and I, I like, I don't think it's just you. Like, the, this is a common refrain around the country. Was well, you know, we kind of have to wait until it gets to quarterfinals, semifinals, and then we'll see the real football championship. And then outside of of Dublin and Mayo, that never really materialised either. And I think that's what that's what led a lot of people down is that if it wasn't for the drama surrounding Tyrone and you know the will they won't days of uh, their appearances later in the championship against uh, against Kerry wasn't it um like it's hard to make a case for it being memorable in any way shape or form outside of that Mayo Dublin game like there's literally like I don't know how anybody can look at the championship as it is now especially the way the results have trended like you mentioned there over the past three four or five years and beyond and think that that is a workable uh, solution to going forward with Gaelic football like it, it it's clearly not and it'd be interesting to see what is made of, of we, we've gone from proposal A and proposal B I believe to, to green and red I think it is we've got colour coded um, proposals going forwards to maybe that makes a difference maybe people have a more of a you know an inkling towards a, a specific colour uh, they're more biased towards a green than there will be a red etc but like something needs to happen and people need to actually yeah. get the bull by the horns and stop looking after self-interests um there was a key line i thought came out the other day was that the you know they're, they're not going to focus as much on replays in the gea anymore because the gea wasn't about making money it's about providing games and that's the main thing that they need to look forward is to have those games that they do provide be actually worth watching because like i mentioned here before it's a product and it's a product that's going to be increasingly difficult to sell to rights holders especially if the football championship is as gack as it has been for the past while yeah, God, red's an interesting color choice. Who's going to vote for something red? I mean, who wants code red right now? Need a more enticing color there, I think. <laughs> Ulster ain't voting for it either way, Ronan. That's the point. They were doing just fine. They had a grand summer up there as the rest of the country had fairly miserable game after miserable game. So that's one of the big problems trying to get anything over the line. Yeah, like in theory, the Ulster Championship is the paradigm that everyone would like to follow if you know the teams were competitive enough and it was almost borne out in the previous championship by... Cavan winning it and granted I know Tipperary did something similar down in Munster but there is a genuine sense that when everybody has their house in order that Ulster is thoroughly competitive and even that Antrim game you mentioned like Antrim were able to hang with Armagh for like swathes of that game in a way that you know Leitrim and these teams like against behemoths of the game just simply can't and never will be able to so again to your earlier point like the, the notion that we're recycling these issues again and going straight back into them <laughs> it kind of typifies where the where things are at. But I was like struck by some of the, the tones last night on the GA as a whole. Like there were obviously um, keen stories that did emerge and the Mayo beating Dublin. I was kind of leaning towards Kieran Cunningham's sense of it. And granted, I, can, I can't speak for those of Mayo, but getting that Dublin monkey off their back did seem like a seminal moment and one that sort of, mm. it doesn't outstrip the, the non-winning of the All-Ireland but you know if DVDs were still being made Joe I think there would be a DVD made of finally getting over that hurdle so in that sense that was a memorable one 
Yeah, well, Mick Foley of the Sunday Times is going to join us this hour and give us his thoughts and all that. And then after eight, so I mentioned the Heineken Champions Cup. Now, to be fair to this tournament, the pandemic is affecting it very badly. It's not its best self. Postponing games is not an option, although at the weekend games were postponed because the French government imposed stiffer restrictions and they couldn't have five games suddenly cancelled. So those uh, French ones have been postponed. But nonetheless, there's just a sense of drift with this tournament. Donald Lennon had a very interesting piece in the Irish Examiner today where he was talking about death by a thousand cuts. And, you know, the new pool format has diluted the tournament was his opinion. We were drip fed these two games pre-Christmas and it's just not enough to get into really. And then he was talking about the wider issue, which is how much do the non-Irish clubs teams care about this competition increasingly he was arguing it's fading in their uh, consciousness and he was using examples castra for instance castra they fielded a diluted side in both games thus far against harlequins and munster and then montpellier traveled to exeter in round one most of their frontline stars rested and they were stuffed by 42 points to six and the french teams increasingly have an agreement to rest players more often across the season and several of those clubs are just using Europe to do it. I mean, we know Racing will go for it. We know Toulouse will go for it. And I think largely because of O'Gara, La Rochelle are into this competition as well. Beyond that, not really. And then, well, Chris Jones of the BBC is going to join us and give us a sense of where the English uh, clubs are with this. Now, admittedly, Saracens have won a whole batch recently and Exeter won as well. So maybe that's slightly um, unfair. But Leicester, even though they've won two for two, they've rested a bunch of players there's a sense that uh, the salary cap is going down. So to what extent the English teams will feel capable of challenging on both fronts in the short term is a question mark. Pat Lamb talking about how clubs won't survive another lockdown. So all of these things are brewing. And what prompted me just to have this chat with Chris is it's I was at a family thing on Saturday and I was sort of saying, oh, the Munster match is on now. We stick it on. And uh, I was on my lonesome. And one of the remarks was, what's the point? French team don't care. If we, who are they playing? Castro. They don't care about it. You know, it was, it was such a damning It was such a damning mood from the room. What is the point of watching Munster Castro? Well, I think the point, of, I think the what's the point about Munster Castro is there seems to be a sense that this competition, or at least the pool stages of this year, are going to bite the dust because there's no way that these postponed games can be rearranged, or at least there's no window for them to be rearranged. But I think like the, the talk of drift has been a long one for, for English clubs in particular because their bread and potatoes has always been uh, the premiership and the money generated from that from TV revenue has been you know more worth to them than than European rugby has similarly to the the top 14 I mean the money that's plowed into the French League is exorbitant compared to what United rugby championship clubs can stand to earn so their um, you know their, their preference has always been to look after their own house before they go go into Europe. The way that the tournament has unfolded and the way that it has kind of collapsed in upon itself and these last two years of major disruption have done it no favours. But I don't think the French or the English were particularly keen to begin with. Um, no, not to begin they weren't. With, but I, for just, the, I just wonder for the, for the last if it's more pronounced now. Yeah, I just wonder if it's more oh, pronounced it is. Like, now. That, that, that thing you mentioned last week of like how many teams can feasibly win the Champions Cup, like, that's very real. Like there's no team from Scotland are going to win the Champions Cup over the next while. Uh, Welsh rugby has spoken about in the last three four days how they like you mentioned Pat Lamb saying they can't handle another lockdown. The Dragons chairman was on Twitter the other night. Bernard Jackman retweeted him, 
saying that like that they can't like th- their games at the weekend their interpro derbies are gone behind closed doors effectively i think they're yeah. allowed to have really paltry crowds at them they can't survive that like the welsh clubs they really depend on live gates they really depend on the money that they do get so to have long periods of their matches is like it's going to kill them but there are none of those welsh teams are going to win the champions cup anytime no. soon they, they might win no. a challenge cup so effectively what we're left with is leinster maybe munster uh ulster might get to the table at some point again and then you know one of the premiership clubs and then two french uh, like yeah. it's and it's it's a long route and a convoluted route and an often pointless route to get there so perhaps it needs the injection of these south african teams down the line in the next few years um but something needs to happen to that competition and i don't think this swiss format and by the way this should be a warning to anybody without wanting to compare apples and oranges this should be a warning to the people looking forward to the champions league the next few years because we're going to see a similar pool stage and it's going to be similarly rubbish uh, and yeah. whereby the amount of pool games are are you know condensed and it, it, it's not a, a, yeah. a straight ahead league um yeah but yeah, yeah. The, the, the format hasn't helped surely no, it definitely hasn't. Definitely hasn't. And look, I guess this Welsh regions and the Scottish clubs were never really big contenders in this competition, but something does feel a bit more pronounced now. So Chris Jones on the way, Rory O'Connor as well after eight o'clock. We should start the news round, which as usual is brought to you by Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. Richie Carabao Cup this evening. Oh yeah, semi-final lineup is going to be confirmed tonight. Liverpool entertain Leicester and there's a rare start for Cuevin Kelleher, just his third of the season between the posts for Liverpool. That's one of three quarterfinals down for a decision. Tonight the other two are London derbies with Brentford hosting Chelsea and Tottenham at home to West Ham. The semi-final draw, which also contains Arsenal, will take place after tonight's matches, all of which kick off at 7.45. We'll keep an eye on those throughout. How are your Carabao Cup excitement levels running? Well, it's a reasonably big night for Keevan Keller, isn't it? Like, I was kind of despondent on his behalf that he didn't get a run out uh, against AC Milan in the Champions League that night. And while it was an utter dead rubber and other players got their chance, the likes of Tyler Morton, who's since got on and got his head in, in the league there last weekend. So I thought um, he was a bit unfortunate there. And this is, you know, people like to downplay the Carabao Cup. It falls at an inopportune time, obviously, where people's minds are elsewhere at the moment. And Liverpool are, are down some key personnel, even withstanding the rotation that comes with this competition. But he'd like to sort of stake his claim for like almost a reminder that he's still, you know, around the place. And Alisson, who's like relatively untouchable, I would say 99%, so has had a few gaffes this season. So it's not as if mm. he's totally immune from uh, criticism. So hopefully Keller can have a good night. And again, like as much as the Carabao Cup is probably undervalued, I think it's all Premier League teams left now, given that Sunderland have exited. So I think there's a first chance for silverware and Leicester in particular, having won the FA Cup last year, probably fancy their chances of getting a result tonight. Yeah, updates across the evening. Meanwhile, Richie, RFU, new chief executive has been named. Yeah, and he is Kevin Potts. He says the reviews into the women's game will be one of his first challenges in the role. He's been confirmed as Peter Brown's successor following what the union described as an extensive international recruitment process. Potts joined the IRFU in 2005 and he's been chief operating officer since 2015. Two reviews, of course, ongoing into women's rugby with further high-ranking discussions due in the new year, according yesterday uh, to Minister of State for Sport, Richard Chambers, or Jack Chambers. Meanwhile, Declan Kidney. 
Yeah, speculation continuing to mount that Declan Kidney could be uh, returning to Munster. He's played those rumours today with a straight bat. The province's former head coach has been linked with a director of rugby position following news that Johan van Graan is leaving for Bath next season. Director of rugby at London for the last three years, Kidney acknowledged the speculation today while neither distancing himself from it or otherwise. Alan Quinlan played under Kidney during his time at Munster and could see the benefit in a return. I think he was brilliant at, at, at organising uh, loads of stuff up away from the rugby field and, and managing structures and, and central to a lot of change that happened um, uh, in the whole organisation throughout his time, particularly the first time he was head coach. Um, he's really shrewd at that. He's a former school teacher. Um, we felt like schoolboys at the start. I certainly did, and I had to be kept in line by him. But... Um, I think he's, there's a real decency around Declan and and he gets people and he tries to understand people and the environment is really, really important to him. And that can be difficult for a head coach sometimes when there's so many moving parts around how, and it brings added pressure. And I think it's a setup like this for months would, would, in my opinion, work very well. Yeah, interesting one. We'll ask Chris Jones what he's made of how Kidney has done at London Irish as well over the last three years. I mean, regardless of what Munster do next, Ronan, this sense of drift, I think, is the thing they have to address. They've just lost too many members of the coaching staff over the last number of years. Yeah, and even like the Erasmus departure wasn't foreseen either. And, you know, it has been a sense even since Kidney left almost of trying to steady the ship in a in a far-reaching sense, and one of the things in Keith Earle's autobiography, beyond all the extraordinary detail in it, was just a remark about you know that need for consistency that he feels Munster have too much chopping and changing at the at the top of the team. And you know, hopefully, one thing Kidney would promise in that regard is that stability and a sense that there's a plan in place. So whether it's him or someone of his ilk, I think that would be the route to go down. Someone who's willing to maybe you know, in practice and in theory, like set a stall out for something of a five year plan. And I know Munster fans probably don't want to hear that, that it's um, another re- restart or like um, kicking things off from a from a fresh scratch. But I think that is probably what's required for the new candidate. Rich, bunch of new contracts signed today. Yeah, Finley Bealham signing a new two-year deal with Connacht. The tight head will remain at the sports ground until at least the summer of 2024. Bealham joined Connacht in 2011, having moved to Ireland from Australia the year prior. However, Connacht number eight, Abraham Papali, is set to leave the province for a brief in the summer. Sammy Arnold's already confirmed he's doing just that. Uh, Billy Burns and Marty Moore signing new two-year deals with Ulster today. They're going to remain at Kingspan Stadium until at least the summer of 2024, while Jordy Murphy has penned a new one-year deal with the province. The trio's extensions add to new two-year deals in SEA yesterday for Tom O'Toole, Matty Ray and James Hume. Now, interesting story this. So Barcelona are just over a billion in debt. But hey, what's 55 mil? Yeah, they have reportedly agreed a deal with Barcelona. Manchester City have to sell Ferran Torres. The 21-year-old will join Barca for 55 million euro plus 10 million in potential add-ons. Torres only joined City from Valencia in August of last year with the Premier League club set to make a profit of in and around 20 million euro. Barcelona helped out, uh, no doubt, by the refinancing of their debt with Goldman Sachs back in the summer, which has uh, earned them somewhere in the region of 500 million. Yeah, we'll touch on that with Graeme Hunter after nine o'clock. He's alongside Philippe Beauclair reviewing the footballing year. Ferran Torres is a good player as well, Ronan. He was very good for City in one of the opening games of the season. Mm. I think it was against Spurs in that game that they ultimately lost. Not that it was his fault. And for Spain over the past year, he's been excellent and scored a bunch of goals. So 
kind of surprised City are willing to part ways with him. 55 million euros, not nothing, admittedly. That's it, like Barcelona apparently have no money and yet are splashing the cash in this vein. I know there's been a few question marks over how exactly the financing is going to work. Dermot Cargan, among others, have been possibly querying how the breakdown will work, given they have to have some outgoings also just to make the registration work. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. Like that game, I just remember Gary Neville waxing lyrical about Farron Torres saying this is when the Harry Kane transfer rumour mill was still in the zeitgeist and... Neville was expressly saying they don't need a striker if Ferran Torres keeps playing like this yeah. and yeah. he was making those sort of cute like out to in runs these kinds of things almost to an end whereby you think Guardiola had been coaching him and working as under the pretense almost that he could be moulded into a number nine and as you said he's mm. banged the goals in at international level so certainly not the end It couldn't. how could it ever be when you're going to Barcelona but I think Ferran Torres will be in this bracket of players who just tried the Premier League, can be reconfigured as a top player in La Liga, and I'd be surprised if anything else happens, to be honest. Yeah, still only 21 years of age. Uh, meanwhile, League of Ireland, Rich? Yeah, a rare moment of common sense down in Waterford. Uh, Ian Morris says he's done plenty of background checking on the club. He's become the Blues' fourth permanent boss in 18 months, replacing Mark Bertram today. Morris, of course, led Shelburne to the first division title this year before being replaced by Damien Duff. Uh, well, Canadian international Chris Twardek is poised to rejoin Bohemians, 24-year-old left bows for Jagiellonia Bialystok in Poland after only eight months in Fizra. Twardek joined Slovakian side FK Szenice in the summer but has reportedly agreed a multi-year deal at Bose. Keith Long's side have already confirmed the signing today of Tampa Bay Rowdies midfielder Jason Doherty. The darts is very much up and running meanwhile. Yeah, it is. Willie O'Connor of, uh, from Limerick has set up a third round meeting with former finalist Michael Smith at the World Darts Championship. The Magpie beat world number 24 Glenn Durant today in something of an upset. Three sets to nil uh, was the margin of victory for O'Connor. Among tonight's highlights, another former runner-up Simon Whitlock takes on the Dutchman Martin Clearmaker. And then just uh, last story or two, Rich, whatever you want to take us. Yeah, Ireland's historic uh, tour of the United States is underway and is going pretty well so far. They are taking on their hosts in the first of uh, two T20 internationals. The United States are 12 for three off the first four overs of their innings. Two wickets for Barry McCarthy, one for Simi Singh. Uh, things going very, very well uh, for Ireland so far. And a return to Leinster for Tanya Rosser, who says she's super excited to become the new Leinster women's head coach. She succeeds, she succeeds even Phil DeBarra, the former Irish international, had a decade-long spell with the province as a player. Okay, very good. Richie McCormack, thank you. Merry Christmas to all. Indeed. Ronan Mullen, Merry Christmas to all. Yeah, same to you, lads. The News Round on Off The Ball. With Gillette. We don't just play the game, we change it. Gillette. Made of what matters.